When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, family? Welcome back to another Melanated Faith episode. We are so excited to have an incredible guest with us today. We're a big fan of all our guests, but we're especially appreciate today's guest and her ability to say hard things publicly with love. With us, we have Ikemini Uwan. Ikemini is a public theologian who received her Master of Divinity degree from Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia. She's also the co-host of the Truth's Table podcast alongside Michelle Higgins and Dr. Christina Edmondson, and Christianity Today has named her among the top 10 new or lesser known female theologians worth knowing. Her work has appeared in The Atlantic, The Washington Post, Christianity Today, and The Witness, among other places. And in her spare time, she enjoys discipling women, spending quality time with her loved ones, and working out. But let me tell you one of my favorite things about Akimini. She is also a part-time fashionista with a love for thrift store shopping. Okay, she is dressed so well, head to toe, all the time. I love seeing her style and how she expresses her love for fashion. So let's welcome Akimini to the show. Okay, I feel like before we get started and jump into the meat of the interview, when I was reading your bio, the part-time fashionista thrift (laughs) thrift store shopping really struck me. And we have listeners everywhere. So I just needed to know some of your favorite thrift stores because you always look so good. Like, so good. I was was shocked. I was like, oh my gosh, she shops at thrift stores? I need to get on. Listen, I am a a thrifter, okay? Uh, I did not grow up with uh, a lot of money. I still ain't got a lot of money. Um, so, (laughs) (laughs) So I believe in thrifting. And so, uh, my goodness, my favorite, well, RIP, there was a Salvation Army um, in next near my hometown in California that every time I went home, this was a ritual. Me, my mom, and my sisters and my cousins would have to go to this. We called it Salvi. Okay, this is very Nigerian. We got shirt and everything. Salvi, we got to go to Salvi. And so we go... And this place just had so much just great, great merchandise. Shoes, purses, dresses, ah, all the things. <laughs> and this last time I was home, I was just home. I left home at maybe the beginning of September. And my cousin told me that Salvi shut down. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Oh, I don't no. know. How am I going to carry on? I just, I don't, I, I'm really hurt about this. So Salvation Army is one of my spots. Okay, okay. Um, Honestly, that's my primary spot. And then there is this one vintage store in San Diego that I love. It's called, I, I don't know if it's still around, but it's called Flashbacks. I'm rarely ever in San Diego. So whenever I'm there, I already know. I've set aside <laughs> some money knowing that when I go to San Diego, I got to go to Flashbacks. Because they have kind of like, it's like more of a retro vibe. Yeah, so they yeah. purposely get really nice, um, one of a kind, unique throwback. Um, yes. You know, all the jewelry and dresses and shoes. And so I... 
I go in when I go to flashbacks, but I haven't been to flashbacks in many moons. So, <laughs> so well, so, that's yeah. good to know. That's yeah, good to know. I like perfect. I said, she is so stylish, y'all. So, Salvi, if you. you're San Diego, <laughs> I know. I mean, Salvi, that's going to stay with me. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to attribute it to you, but I'm going to tell people I'm going to Salvi. <laughs> I'm going to tell my family, look, y'all, we, we on the map now. We, yes. we, we made Salvi a thing. <laughs> I love it. Okay, so I think just to get people an understanding who might not know, um, help people know what a public theologian actually is, what does that mean, and why is it important for there to be Black women doing theology publicly? Yes, okay, so public theologian. How do I define it? What is a public theologian, right? My my definition about this varies, um, but I often describe it in... in I in two ways is helpful. I think one is that I'm having a conversation about God in public, and then sometimes I'm having a conversation with God in public. Um, sometimes those conversations with God in public or about God in public show up on my uh, uh, podcast that I co-host, Truth Table, right? So we're thinking about culture and politics and race and pop culture, all these things, and just trying to see like, okay, what you know, what's the Christian lens? What's the theological import? you know, of, about these issues and, and things. And then there's times where, um, as a public theologian, I guess I'm, I'm in conversation with God in public, right? Through writing and through speaking. Um, but I'm also, and I'm doing those things in order to make sense of our world and what's happening and help people make sense of this world because quite, people have questions, you know, about when we talk about Black Lives Matter or, or we talk about, you know, climate change or things that were happening, a lot of these questions are actually um, um, existential questions. You know, Black Lives Matter, that is a statement, <laughs> you know, about our worth, our dignity, um, our intrinsic worth that's God-given, given, God gave to us, right? Being um, made in the image of God. And so trying to give people the theological language, contours, and import for the questions that they're asking and letting them know, yeah, you're on the right track. Yep. You're right to ask that question. Yes. You should be mad about that. You know, because God is angry about that. And this is how we know God is angry about that through God's words. That's my job is <laughs> to be able to connect the dots uh, for people and for the public as a whole. And to do that as faithfully as I can and in submission and, um, and by God's grace in hopefully in humility um, to God. I love that. So who are you listening to? Who are some of your favorite theologians? Oh, goodness. Oof. I don't know if, you know, honestly, I, I, I'm not gonna lie. It's, my grandmama. <laughs> yes. I, I, really I love it. In. I and love it. I, I, I think, in, uh, so because going to seminary and learning and reading all these books and being, you know, in public theology, I think you can really get lost in the weeds of academic or even the ivory tower um, of academia and lose sight. I think of the fundamentals of the faith and the basics of the faith, yeah. you know, um, uh, because it's, it's really, it's love. That's really in the details, right? That's the, the, as the old adage goes. And I think um, sometimes it's just the, the basics, you know, and I learned from my grandmother, um, some very deep theological truths, like the hypostatic union, like God is both God, a hundred percent God and a hundred percent man. My grandmother, my Nigerian grandmother taught me that. 
right? She taught me the creeds. She taught me um, how to pray. She taught me King James Version of our Lord's Prayer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, she taught me these things. And so uh, I'm so grateful that she's still here with us in the land of the living. So she's one that I really look up to. I look up to my mentor in the faith who is holiness is still right. Love her, Stephanie Evans. Um, and so I, I really try to keep it real simple on that. And I know that might be surprising to people, um, but I really try to like, nah, let me let me stay with that that old time religion. <laughs> you know that God, the things that God used to draw me and bring me in. I believe that those are the things that will keep me. But with that said, that doesn't mean I'm not reading. I have been presently, I'm reading a book called. Faith in the Face of Empire by Mitri Raheb. So the Bible through Palestinian eyes. And it's been really eye-opening. It's not a very big book, but goodness, it is small but mighty. Um, And I just, I don't know, I I just in some ways I'm kind of trying to, I'm trying to lay hold of the global nature of Christianity. uh, Because I think in America... We're very, very privileged. Um, I think in some ways that we can um, get pretty myopic about our faith and we can get pretty, um, I don't know, I, I hate to say this, but but very much like our interpretation first, right? Right, <laughs> which, yeah. Which echoes, you know, yeah. the last regime. And so <laughs> I think in some ways we can get really, you know, we can be a, a, little, a, a little imperialistic with our stuff sometimes. Um, and that's across the board. Yeah. So I think that, um, so I, I was like, you know, I think it'd be good and advantageous and advantageous uh, for me to actually read um, from a scholar who is Palestinian, who derives from one of the Bible social locations. And the Bible has, you know, several um, social locations and just really like the right there in the heart of it in Palestine. Let me learn um, from that and what it means, you know, to be a Palestinian Christian and, and what their plight is, right? And 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 dealing with empire. And so I've I've been reading and I've I've been learning a ton. So that's what I'm reading currently. Currently, even though I'm writing. But yeah. <laughs> when I do have time, I'm reading this. <laughs> I love that. I mean I think one of the um I can't now I'm not gonna remember her name, but uh-huh. I had to read I found an article about Ruth and Naomi written Ooh. by a Korean American female theologian and it deepened my understanding. Yeah. Like I cannot read the book of Ruth the same and I wow. like I feel like seeing it as like a romance, which is like the Christian way of seeing it, is like Boaz and Ruth, is just you miss so much of the context of the texture. Um of what that um, story is about. And I, I'm like, love that. I'm going to write that down to get it. Cause I, I think reading scripture from theologians outside of the West really will just, it'll blow it's your helpful. mind. We're missing, we're missing so much. We're missing so much. And I think also too, when you talk about reading scripture or doing Bible study, you know, you, you want to do it in your local church, your local community, but the church to your point is like global. Like we, we should be reading scripture and doing Bible study with the big, big C church. Yeah. Yeah. And so I love that. That's so great. Yes. Yes. And to your point, you see, so you, you, you're, um, you mentioned reading about the story of Ruth, um, from a Korean, uh, um, a female theologian. And that's, that's why we do need to hear from women theologians. We have yes. di- a different vantage point. Now, obviously, my vantage point is going to be different from a Korean woman's, from an Indian woman, right? Um, from uh, 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 a Taiwanese woman. But yes. we need to hear 
these per- these uh these are these are valid vantage points mm-hmm. uh, that we need to hear, and so it's just a beautiful mosaic and tapestry of like um, interpretation um, and things that we can glean outside. And that's not to say that us in America don't have anything to contribute. That's uh, that's not what I'm saying. But I I don't think we're the only ones <laughs> that yes. can contribute. And we're so far, we're so far removed from the context of the Bible, meaning culturally, um, socially, in some ways, politically. I think it. It's, it, it would behoove us to learn from people that are a little bit closer uh, to that context, the biblical yeah. context anyway. That's so good. Okay, so I wanted to ask you, you wrote over the course of the pandemic two pieces about the pandemic for the Atlantic. Um, we're going to link those pieces in the show notes. I highly recommend awesome. them to you, our listeners. But one of the things that struck me in both pieces is you talk about grief. And, and and the role of grief or, you know, to use the more Christian uh, lament um, in this way of like a new imagining how it's important, how like we can't skip that process. And so I was wondering if you could just say more about the role of grief or lament and sort of why that's an important any and in sort of any step of like reimagining or rekindling or why is grief and lament an important part of human flourishing? Yeah. Um, goodness. So, yes, I did write those two in this ongoing parallelogram. It's still <laughs> happening. And, yes, we're still in know, it. We're still in it. I know people want to pretend that we're not. And that is the problem. Um, I think yes. part of the problem is that because we have not properly grieved and we have not properly lamented, um, the thousands upon thousands of lives, over 600,000, well over, well over 600,000 lives um, that have been lost uh, to COVID-19 pandemic. I think um, it's calcifying the hearts. You know how the Bible talks about in 2 Timothy, the hearts of many will wax cold. Mm -hmm. I often tell um, uh, my co-host Christina and and Michelle that we, we live in in a 2 Timothy world you know, where it's just like, there's just, yeah, the love mm. is just wax cold. Yes, there's no yes. real empathy. That's a there's case. no real care. Uh, you know, I, I, I see, I see the, the, um, the posts on social media from people that are kind of like, you know, um, that have a proclivity, some of our cousins that have a proclivity toward um, conspiracy theories that are on my timeline. So I'm mm-hmm. talking about my people too, you know. That's why I said my co- our cousins, um, <laughs> you know. And it's just like my goodness, like just the callousness, like of somebody saying, you know, discouraging or disseminating misinformation, yeah. say about the vaccine, right? And somebody in that, and some an, another commenter says, you know, well, I just lost my brother to COVID nineteen or blah blah, and the person just says, oh, well, I'm sorry about that, but if you just take this, these vitamins, blah blah, blah just callous. Disregard. It's like the, it's like the Hunger Game. Yes. It is. Every man it for is. himself. It is. I mean, the survival of the fittest. What is happening? Just ruled by this just rudimentary, rugged individualism. Very American. Um, and I think the absence of grief, the absence of lament is um, has hardened us. And I think the reality is that when we grieve and we will lament about the things that ought to be lamented about, like death, the very thing that made Jesus himself cry and weep right over the death of his friend Lazarus, we agree with God Mm -hmm. that something is wrong. We agree with God that death is evil. We agree with God that things ought not be like this. And when we do that, when we reflect 
the right response <laughs> um, um, in a reflection of God who created us, we we show forth that we really and truly are made in the image of God, that even when we don't do that, we are still imago day. So I'm not saying that even when we don't act right, we not. We are. <laughs> but I'm just saying that we reflect um, just God's character. When we agree with God, when we have emotions right. that are aligned with God's emotions, right? So there's um this uh, 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 teaching about the communicable attributes and the incommunicable attributes of God. So communicable attributes are love, right? So we, we can love because God loves. That's a characteristic. God is love. And so we have That's that right. characteristic, that ability um, to love people. And an incommunicable attribute is um God's um omnipotence, God being all powerful, God being omniscient, meaning he's all knowing. Okay. That we are not, (laughs) we are not all knowing. Uh, we are not all powerful. We are finite. God is infinite. So, um, but being able to grieve, being able to feel sadness, being able to see, uh, um, to uh, call evil, evil, um, and good, good, my goodness, that's a reflection, I believe, of God's character um, and the fact that we are made in the image of God. And when we don't do that, I think it grieves God. Uh, I think it does grieve God. And I, I, I'm concerned for the trajectory yeah. uh, that we're on right now, as it's, it was reported about a week or two ago. Now, these numbers can change. But at this juncture, we were losing 2,000 people per day. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of lives. That's a lot of empty seats at dinner tables in houses all over this land. And um, it's, we we should be lamenting and grieving that. And I actually think the church ought to be the ones that are leading us in that way. Mm, I completely agree. So for you, you're speaking about a lot of hard topics um, and you speak publicly <laughs> about hard topics. Um, so could you maybe talk a little bit about tone policing and the pressure that black women feel to tone it down. I'm putting my fingers in quotation marks Mm -hmm. here. Mm -hmm. And how can we also celebrate our gifts instead of feeling the need to shrink in order to fit into certain spaces? Yes. Yes. So yeah, tone policing and talking in public. Yes, I do. I do talk in public. Um, I think so for for me with regard to tone policing, I had to be, I was very reluctant (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. about, you know, this calling, to be honest. I just, I really always, you know, when I went to seminary, I didn't know why I was going. Um, I did not know what God was asking me to do. I just, it was just, I was just trying to be faithful to where God had led me. Um, and though it was very, very a difficult and pretty traumatic experience, I just, I pushed through and made it through by God's grace and still was like, okay, God, what are we doing? What are we doing? Because uh, really, I just wanted to uh, go back to get that studying, go back to my local church, do discipleship, work, a regular nine to five. And that's it. Serve the Lord for the rest of my days in that way. Yeah. <laughs> I was I was satisfied with that. I didn't, you know, I did not <laughs> seek after this. I mean, I'm I'm like I'm t- and I'm still would be fine with that. Actually, God, if right. you'd like to, <laughs> if you'd like to bless me, in that if you'd like to bust a Yui, we can do that. But um, but you know, I, I so so anyway, so I I think I come into this a little bit from a different stance. So so going into this, I it was not me <laughs> that was going after this. 
you know, uh, this calling. I didn't even know that this was a thing, reading public theology. I didn't know that really until maybe the latter half of seminary. Um, but I just, you know, but the, your gifts do make room for you. And so it just started happening. And, um, you know, so I, I knew that God had called me to speak and had given me a heart and passion for these hard things that have to do with injustices and oppression, particularly oppression and injustice that has to do with Black people. That would be on the continent. That would be in the diaspora here in America. You know, like that's where my calling, that's where my passions, that's where my gifts um, lie. And especially due to my social location. Um, And so I, in some ways, I, I, I have not felt that pressure. I have, of course, people have tried to tone police me. Yes. But I've never felt the pressure to succumb to that because I knew that my calling came from God because I didn't want to do it in the first place. That's good. That's good. (laughs) That's how I know it came from God because I didn't want to do it in the first place. That's step one. Um, Two, (laughs) two, I was like, I mean, I I cannot be a servant of God, you know, as uh, Paul says in Galatians, and serve men. Like, it's not mm-hmm. going to work. Like, if I'm going to be trying to please man, I won't be able to please God. If I try mm. to please God, I'm probably not going to be able to please man. But I'm please God because God sent Jesus to die for me. Um, and he's the one that set me free. Um, yeah. and, 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 he, and, and my life belongs to God. Um, and so I do what God tells me to do. And so I, um, and so that's, that has always, uh, nav- that, that has been the anchor and the guide for me um, when speaking. So there are things that when I have to speak and I have to say some things, I'm, I'm praying, I'm asking the Lord, okay, what do you want me to say? Mm-hmm. What are the things that I can bring out? You know, just even on an interview like this, a conference stage, if I'm on uh, doing a TV ad on MSNBC, God, what do you want me to say? What do you want me right. to write? If I'm writing something for the Atlantic, what, what do you want me to say that might help to uh, maybe illuminate the darkness that might help to bring some insight, some nuance? I'm, I'm, I'm just asking God to show me. And sometimes the Lord will really give me a hard word. And I'm, well, actually a lot of times. <laughs> I was going to say. Like 99.9% of the time. And so <laughs> I've got to say a hard thing. And so, and I have to set my face like Flint and do it. Yeah. You know, and trust that the Lord will um, take care of the rest. And honestly, whenever I face backlash, which does happen probably about annually at this point, um, I trust the Lord to defend me. And I oftentimes yeah. rarely ever need to defend myself, even when I'm being attacked, when there's like a big, even like a little media controversy. I, I do not. I just be like, I pray again. I'm like, Lord, did I miss it? Did I say what you want me to say? I will check in with my community. Y'all, am I tripping? Did I misspeak? Do I need to repent of something? Mm. Uh, because I'm not, I, I am fallible. Right. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to miss it. Um, but I also try to check in and be like, and if, if people are saying, no, you're good, you know, or da, da, then, okay, then I'm going to sit back and just watch God do what God does. And uh, each, each time God has actually has really defended me, like brought people up, raised people up. And I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. I'm just going to sit back and trust God. Yeah. <laughs> and wait, sometimes it's sometimes time, you know, the, the, the words take time, um, the, the veracity of the word is tr- tested with time, mm. you know? And so people in that moment will be like, oh my gosh, this is hyperbole. She's just oh, so negative. And then a couple of years later, like, oh yes, a whole coup did happen. You're right. You did call this the regime. <laughs> yes. Yes. I, yes, exactly. I did. I, right. I did. Yeah. And so, 
I'm just like, I'm not speaking. I'm not trying to be hyperbolic here, y'all. I mean, I'm just trying to call a thing a thing. So Mm -hmm. anyway, so tone policing. So I would say to people that are struggling, though, with tone policing or have succumbed to it, let me say it that way. Because I do think I'm a little bit weird in that way. And that I'm like, (laughs) I'm going to do that. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Yeah. I don't know what what that is. But but for those that do feel pressure to do that, I would say go back to God and ask God, is is this what God's calling you to do? Did Mm. God tell you to say this thing? And on this platform, in this way, in this space, wherever God has you, right? Um, Check in with God. And I I also would say, don't, this is kind of like a little bit of a, a tangent, but our callings or the the function of our callings and the way that our f- callings manifest change. Yeah. They shift, um, you know, and I think we should be malleable and mm-hmm. open and hold everything loosely and be ready to shift with God because God changes our plans so quickly. Yeah. You know, like sometimes overnight you're like, wait, what, what are we doing? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. You're like, okay, I did not get the memo, yeah. but all right. I need to, either I'm going to shift or I'm going to get stuck and I'm going to keep wandering around the wilderness or I'm going to go do what God yeah. told me to do. And so I think, so I, I would say, I would say, go back to God, check with God. If that's what God um, gave you to do, then you ask God for the confidence and the boldness to carry out your calling and your assignment. Now, if God is saying that the time has expired and I'm shifting you to something else, then have the um, the humility and um, and the obedience to shift along along with God. Yeah, I hope I that's that. helpful. No, it's so helpful. I think that's a good word because I think all to your point, it's like, are we trying to please God? Or are we trying to please man? And right. if the bottom line question is obedience, if God has to your point given you that word for that audience, for that time and place, for that meeting, for that Bible yeah. study then it's really not a question of like how other people receive it. It's a question of like, am I going to be obedient or not? And then That's I think it. when you, right. when you frame it that way, it's like, well, I just, I'm going with God. <laughs> I'm going with God. Yeah. For God you know. I live and for God I die. Yes. Yeah. That's yeah. for real. I'm really serious about that. Yeah. No, 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 nobody talks about obedience no more in holiness. I know it ain't cool. Because it, it don't get you no uh, likes on Instagram. <laughs> but obedience and holiness, that, yeah. that's it. Out, out of love for God mm-hmm. and God's love for us. And we saw that, dem- we saw Jesus demonstrate that in his obedience unto death to God's, to God's will, right? Yes. Um, to save us. So I just, come on now. We got, again, back to the basics. This is why I say back to the basics of the faith. <laughs> exactly. The exactly. I love it. That was such a good word. Um, okay. So still kind of related to the same topic. You know, I know we kind of know we've talked about black women are marginalized in predominantly white spaces. But I think one thing I think that gets less attention um, or we don't have as many conversations about, or it feels uncomfortable to have this conversation, is the way in which Black women are marginalized in the Black church. And I, you know, kind of talked about that. I spoke to you for an article about in Christianity Today. Um, and I just wanted to, like, revisit that conversation. We had Tyler on, you know, last season, and he kind of talked about it. But for you, um, could you speak to some of the ways that Black women are marginalized in Black church spaces? And what we should expect from our black brothers um, in terms of being better partners in ministry and and calling and, and church life. Yes. Yes. So, um, Ooh, that's a doozy. Um, (laughs) You know, I love the black church. I got saved in the black church, came to faith in the black church um, in college. And, um, you know, I, I do think, and you know what, let me say this one. 
I, I, I'm sure this is as often being said now, which is good, is that the black church is not a monolith, right? Mm-hmm. So there are a variety, a diversity of of um, theological commitments, of uh, of theological beliefs, right? Um, about the um, function and roles within church, particularly with the pastorate within the black church, right? There's right. some that are completely egalitarian. I got saved in a um, back to Pentecostal <laughs> egalitarian church. Um, it was non-denominational. Um, Hope's House Christian Church is where I got saved. Um, and so um, um, Pastor Dre and Pastor Charles Humphrey um, were my, my pastors. And so in that space, you know, um, there was no um, restriction as far as, you know, preaching goes and pulpit ministry in that, you know, in, in that church. And then there's other churches where they, they do believe that um, a pastor, the, the role of a pastor or elder is reserved for a man. We're, we're just, there's not going to be agreement on that, on this right. side. I, I just, I, and, now, and I will say, I will put my cards on the table that I have never, ever felt a call to the pastorate, to be a pastor. I am the granddaughter of a pastor, um, but I, I've never, myself, I've never felt that call, that unction, that that was my calling. And so I do come into that conversation with, I would say, a bit of privilege in that. And that, so this is not something that's, um, that, that conversation is not as personal to me because that's not something that I've, um, ever wrestled with at all. I think people want to be like, oh, you should, no, no, I shouldn't. That's not my call. <laughs> that is not my call. You do not want me to be a pastor. You don't. Um, I just, I don't have the temperament. I don't have the call. It, it ain't it. And yes. so, and you need to know that about yourself. Self-awareness, self-awareness. Yes. Yes. Um, and so, uh, so, but I don't think, I think that's the obvious one that people will, will name is, you know, um, is the restriction of women from the pastorate and pulpit ministry, um, which is legitimate. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not saying that it's not um, a legitimate um, um, complaint uh, to bring up. But I do find that in in uh, Black church spaces, there were, because I think that when we just centered on that, then what happens to, uh, say, women like me and others who are like, ah, Actually, I've never had a desire to be a pastor, but I do have gifts and callings. You know, I have a gifting for teaching. I got a gift for evangelism. I have the gift of prophecy. And I'm just thinking about all these, maybe administration, you know, all these different gifts. Um, What happens when you're in a a church that is so rigid and so restrictive that the only gifts that are prized or esteemed are the outward gifts? Right. That are yeah. that are that are the, the pub. I'll just say the public gifts. Right. That you can see. So like on a Sunday morning, who is up front, you know, um, who is seen, who, who preaches, who you know, what about the what about the many other gifts um, in the body of Christ? And so I think that there are ways that black women in black churches are sometimes are, are sometimes lifted up in that in certain spaces, black women are given their opportunities. To be able to gift to to know their gifts and to sharpen their gifts, I was definitely um, at my, uh, my at, at that church um, um, at my previous church, the first church where I got where I came to faith, um, for sure. But then there are others where that's not the case. You know where uh, where women are. Um, how can I say? I talk about this actually in the church table book. Um, my own experiences in some in, a, in another church that was completely opposite. <laughs> Of, of Hope's House and where where the pastor was straight up misogynistic. There's no other way to say that, you know, objectifying women from the pulpit, uh, making black women the butt of the joke, right? 
to get his rocks off, right? That and it had had absolutely nothing to do with the sermon. Um, I think those were marginalized in those ways, right? There's no real power sharing, right? Because if you're in a position and you're you are the one that's the steward over the souls of God's people in that in that house then you should be the servant, right? Yeah. You know, you should be the servant. Yeah. Um, the last shall be least, you know, I mean, the first <laughs> shall be last, I'm sorry. But it is actually the last is least, actually. I was actually right now. <laughs> it's the yeah. last that's least. And that shouldn't be the, that shouldn't be it. That's a, you have a greater responsibility to make sure that you too are among the sheepfold. Right. That you, too, are getting down and dirty with us in this rugged world because it is rugged um, and it is dirty uh, when you're dealing with people and our mess. Because we all got we all have mess. Um, we, we should be able to walk shoulder to shoulder. Right. With our pastors. And I think there's ways in which I think women, um, black women in um, black church pages can be marginalized. Think about the fact that black women and I don't have the number off the top of my head, but there is a, go- a good number of us that are single. Right. Mm-hmm. And s- single late much later than our um, other uh, um, female counterparts, you know, of, of other races. Right. And so if you go to a church where, say, it's all male leadership. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying that there are not women pastors that have, that don't have internalized misogyny that do not also spew <laughs> rhetoric. Cause that is also a thing. Um, you know, um, Sarai and Hagar stand in as, as an example, right. Of somebody, Sarai stands as an example of somebody that was complicit, right. In the mm-hmm. oppression of Hagar. Right. Yeah. So I, I don't want to act like that's not a thing, but I'm just, I'm just trying to make an example here that if you go to say a church, all male leadership, you know, and they have a very, um, let me say, idolatrous view mm-hmm. of marriage, you know, where the the married people are a little bit esteemed a little higher. There's a hierarchy, right, where they're esteemed and, and they're the favored ones of the Lord um, because they're married. And you have this thing where single women are off limits for interaction, um, for conversation. You don't see them as peers. Uh then those black women in those spaces are going to definitely by default are going to be marginalized, right? right. Simply because they do not have a partner simply because, or, or a spouse, however you want to uh, uh, designate that. But I mean, think about, just think about that. What, yeah. what is the toll, you know, right. on black women when that happens? Right. Um, or even just, just think about even, even the ways that maybe, maybe the issues that we face are, um, our deed are, are not dealt with with the depth and nuance that it requires. Yeah. Like what 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 is the impact of single this financial toll? What does this mean long term mm-hmm. for singles that may not ever get married? Single black women that may not um, get married. What are what what are those things? And how is the church church addressing that? Are you just simply saying, you know, that oh okay, you just need to be content in your singleness? It has nothing to do with contentment. There's a real yeah. systemic issue going on here and so and i and i do listen i go all the way in on this subject in the truth table book uh yeah because it's important it's important and it's good that's good yes people um pre-order the truth tables book we're going to include a link in the show notes of where you can do that support black bookstores if you can we're always supporting yes um so for sure that's great i mean i think that's true i the whole um your point about like the examples that are used and black women being the butt Mm -hmm. of the joke i was visiting a church 
I'm trying to find a new church um, as I moved to Dallas. I was visiting her church and the sermon was actually good. I mean, I was into it. And mm-hmm. then at some point he decides to make some analogy where he blames Faith Evans for Tupac and Biggie's beef, death, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. calls mm-hmm. her a distraction. And I just am like, mm-hmm. this is the kind of like, to your point of like, it that's misogynist. And I feel like, for black men, I think they're very hyper aware about, you know, the ways in which they're marginalized, you know, with police and, you know, and their employment and their sort of opportunities. Absolutely. And they don't think about like, that's just to me. I was just like, why would you even say that? It's Absolutely. disrespectful to Faith Evans. If you've done any reading on the topic, like, you know, their issue had to do with their own egos. And and like she was dragged into something she didn't even want to be a part of but like why is it a black woman's fault like why you know absolutely and to your point given the demographics of most black churches like come on man we're the the majority right and when i say black church i'm also including i think um when we say black church i think we have to broaden what we mean too i'm also including african church i'm including caribbean uh, churches too right because because of the um arrival of black immigrants of which i'm a first gen nigerian american i think you have to include them you know, in that analysis. And so, yeah, um, it's a it's a real issue. That that misogynoir, it's just, it's in there, right? It's in there. And so how do we, how, how can you believe Black women? How can you trust, how can you believe Black women when you don't trust them? We Ooh. don't trust our, we don't trust our testimony about yeah. our struggles, our testimony about our very real experiences in church or, right. or or whatever the um whatever it is that we, we happen to be talking about um or bringing you know to the fore or bringing to the attention of say the pastoral staff you know so i i think it, it, it's a real serious issue you know you see this even the, the mess with um r kelly um who now has been found guilty thank god, thank god. Praise um god. You know, but it's just like, my goodness, this this attraction and draw to like just this power yes. and celebrity for um for ill-gotten intentions. You know, I think we see that happen in the church. Um, yeah. And I, I do think that eventually um, it's not a matter of if, but when I, I think those the abuses that sexual abuse, you know, mm-hmm. and things that happen. Also in the black church, I think that that will eventually come to the light and will be exposed. It ain't every church. It's not. It is not the whole um, black church at all. But yeah, I think that there is going to be a a reckoning for these things um, because everything that's in the dark will come to the light. I completely agree with that. Mm -hmm. And I think everything you're saying is so powerful. And we talk so much about singleness um, on this podcast Mm -hmm. um, because neither of us are married. And so we just talk about what is that like, you know, for us to be in our 30s and navigating that and to be Mm -hmm. walking, you know, in your your faith and doing what you feel God has called you to do. Um, But also knowing that in a lot of church spaces, motherhood and um, being a mom and a wife is seen as now you're a woman and and it's almost as if you're not you know walking in the fullness of your womanhood if you don't have those um, identities labels attached to Mm -hmm. your name and so it's a much broader conversation so I cannot wait to dig into your book um, and read so many more of your thoughts on this. Um, And I would love for people who might not be familiar with your work with Truth's Table, if you could tell us about like 
the podcast itself, why you started it, um, and, you know, like the conversations that y'all are cultivating over there. Yes, yes, yes. So Truth Table, my goodness. Okay, well, well, let me say, you mentioned the book. The book is Truth Table, Black Women's uh, Musings on Life, Love, and Liberation. And so I will say the chapter on singing this, it is the longest chapter. And so, (laughs) because I said everything. Yes. On there. So um, Truth Table, honestly, is um, my goodness. It is obviously the anchor, right, for for the book. And so it's um, it is. Yeah, I would say it's the anchor. So it's a table built by black women and for black women. Uh, uh, My co-host, Michelle Higgins and Dr. Christina Edmondson It's the three of us who host Truth Table, uh, which was established in March 2017. Wow. Can't believe it. Five years ago, wow. um, going on six by God's grace. I mean, so we've had five seat. We're in our fifth season, wrapping our fifth season up at the end of October. And we'll be going into sixth season uh, next year. And so what, what how, how Truth Table came to be was that actually our producer came to me and said, hey, you know, you got all the good thoughts. You should do a podcast. And I was like, uh, I don't know about that. Like, I don't even really listen to podcasts like that. Truthfully, for <laughs> I was like, I was like, I was like what? podcast. Uh, you know, I was like, oh, I don't think I want to carry a show by myself. Cause you know, I'm thinking, oh, many words, a lot of sin. Like, you know, I'm like, <laughs> nah, it's too many opportunities to air here. I was like, but, <laughs> I was like, Mm-mm. but if I can do this, I was like, but but, but then he was like, well. What about if you, Michelle, and Christina did a show together? I was like, that might could work. I was like, we just started a group chat, like, I don't know, a couple months ago. So I was like, huh, this might actually work, actually. And so, um, and so I, I, I pitched the idea to them, and they were like, game. And so we we started recording the podcast. Now we didn't know what we were doing at first. We didn't know all that went into a podcast all at all we didn't know all the work that that it would take um and we didn't know the impact and reach that truth table would have to to be honest we just knew that we don't from our vantage point and the little bit that we knew about podcasts we didn't know of any other podcasts that were doing what truth table was doing so we were like all right let's do it and so we started that podcast and we went in talking about issues that sometimes our hot button issues, right? So talking about gender um, inequity, like gender apartheid, talking about colorism, uh, talking about reparations, okay? Before before it really started to get into at least the cultural, the Christian um, milieu, you know, so back in 2017, I think 2018, we did the Reparations Now series and did a whole series. Um, That medical apartheid, are you okay, sis? Talking about the health of Black women, are we okay? And the answer is no. It's still no, we are not okay. So, (laughs) and so, you know, so talking about these things that we we know our sisters care about. And so it's Black women who get a seat at Truth's table. Everybody else who is not a Black woman gets standing room section only. They're welcome into the room. They can gather around the table, but only the seats at the table are only reserved for black women. Um, and obviously that's for very obvious purposes. I think you guys know, you all know that, you know, we're often marginalized and put to the side. And so we were like, no, we will make a special place for our sisters here at the table. And it's been a, it's been a gift and a blessing to me. 
I love it. It's so great. Yes. Um, get Truth Table wherever you listen to podcasts. Hopefully you are a podcast listener, although I understand <laughs> those who are not. Um, okay, so the last question we've been asking this season of most of our guests is what they're hopeful about. I feel like there's a lot to be to grieve, to lament in the world, and that's mm-hmm. important, as we've stated. Um, but I think sometimes you think it has to be one or the other, and I think it can be both. Hope and right. lament can coexist. And so I'd love to know for you what's something you're hopeful about right now. What am I hopeful about? Goodness, I am. Well, I am hope. Honestly, I'm. I'm really trying to anchor uh, my hope. Well, I'm my, my hope is continually on the Lord. Right. To be honest, because listen, everything seemed to be falling apart. Just, I mean, I'm serious. I mean, I hate to be a negative Nancy, but I'm just saying, it's just like things are just like I was like, this is just a lot going on. And so I, I, I think if nothing else in these couple of years, I'm like, okay, our hope really does have to be in Jesus, like because nothing, um, nothing is holding up, right? Um, it just feels like everything is just. A, a crumbling yeah. a bit. Um, I think I'm 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 always going to be hopeful though about um, the younger generations coming up after us. What can we learn from them? Um, what are some things that we can teach them if they if they receive from us? Um, and so I think I'm I'm hopeful to see how um, Gen Z and the generation after Gen Z. I don't know what the generation's name is. Why I don't really know. Uh, okay, Alpha. I think it goes back to the. I know. Oh really? Okay. Okay. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. But I'm looking forward to seeing. Uh, just kind of like what? First of all, what are the characteristics that shape those generations? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, there's been a whole lot of talk about my generation, the millennials. You know that people been hating on us. You know, from the beginning. Some of the, some of this criticism is legit. I will say that. <laughs> some is a lot of projection and illegitimate. Okay. <laughs> But I'm excited about learning just kind of, okay, what really is the ethos of these next generations and what can we learn from them? Where where will they um, take us? Will they progress right. us, uh, help, help us to progress, hopefully, or will we be regressing, right? I don't know. I don't know. The question is, um, it's a question, you know? And so I think that and in that question, I think there's still some hope there, right? Even in the unknown, there's hope. Because, you know, even in our faith, we don't we don't know how it, yeah. it all is going to end. We really don't. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> we, I mean, we have the word. I'm not saying, but we don't we don't know. Jesus could come at any moment. And so we yeah. got we to gotta be ready. Right. But yeah, so that those, that's kind of what I'm hopeful about the next generation. I'm curious and I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. hopeful and curious to see how the next generations generations, I should say, will um lead us what will their bents be what would their proclivities be mm-hmm. um z's is being of course much more solidified now right because they're right behind millennials but yeah i'm, I'm just curious about that and hopeful that yes. they can lead us on because listen it's time to pass the baton look y'all I, I, <laughs> and i think it's helpful to remember that like millennials now like the oldest millennials are in their 40s yeah. like <laughs> so some of the ways in which people talk about millennials it's like you're talking about grown people like yes like yes. please distinguish between millennial and, <laughs> and Z, right? And Z and Alpha or whatever they're called. Because yeah. some of the stuff you're saying, I was like, would you walk up to a 40 year old's face and say that? You would not. So <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm telling you. Yeah. So well, yeah, thank you. Yeah, this was so good. I'm so glad that you were on. We're gonna do faith. Yeah, we're gonna do our favorite segment and yours. Go off, sis.
Okay, so this is our time where we like to talk about something we love right now, our bless, and then also something that's just a mess. And this is just our personal time of sharing those things. These things range from serious to silly to just, you know, something nice and lovely. So we just, this is our time. You know, we just like to talk. We like to chat. Okay, go off, sis. Okay, what I'm loving right now, honestly, is my um, Black uh, Peloton Writers Group. Yes. They have been. (laughs) Tell me more. I'm like, should I get a Peloton? I love this group. I love the Peloton. You know, uh, know, I'm I'm serious about working out now. Uh, I've been working out for many, many, many years since I was in my early 20s. And um, so I work out about five days a week. Okay, for about two hours. And it's not a game. And so um, I, uh, yeah, Monday, Friday, 5 a.m. to about 7 a.m., I'm working out. And so uh, I uh, I have this Peloton, which I love. And there's a Black Peloton writers group on Facebook. And I love them, my Peloton cousins. Um, and so I was reluctant to share this because I was like, I don't want us to get, you know, uh, I, I like to keep it, but you know, I want people to know about it. So, so, <laughs> so it's a group of just, you know, uh, you got to be black to be in a group and you got to have a Peloton, you know, to be in a group. And it's just, I don't know. It's just so much banter and just motivation, encouragement. Um, we push one another to hit our fitness goals, to get on the bike, motivate, uh, pray for one another when, you know, when people are struggling or, or a family member is going through things or somebody lost a family member, um, just it's the fist of ratchetness that pops off in the group. I love it. I love it. I love it. Every day I got it. I'm in, in, in that group. I, I think I joined like in February, or March. I'm telling you, I promise you, that's how I'm getting over. Jesus and my black Peloton group is how I'm getting over. It's I love it. <laughs> oh I, love it. I love it. I love it. It's such a blessing. No, no, not for the mess. It's a time. Yeah, for the yes, mess. For your mess. Who we? Oh, I mean, goodness. I mean, I don't think you guys have a whole nother hour for the messes. But um, the most prescient mess uh, that's coming to mind at the moment is the way that this administration, the Biden administration, is deporting Haitians by the Uh. hundreds and thousands. And the way that they had that, what do you want, a cowboy, I'm going to say, cowboy uh, uh, whipping Haitian migrants who are coming, uh, who are trying to fight for their livelihood and for the survival of their family. I just, that was a mess. It was a wicked mess. Yes, it um, was. And I, I just, it, it, it's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. It is absolutely terrible. There's absolutely no difference between Biden's immigration policies and Trump's. And I'm going on record to say that. And unless something changes, unless something changes, I'm not retracting that. Yeah. And so that is the the indignities these people have suffered to to take these people and then put them on a plane, send them back to Haiti, which they had left years ago. They had already settled in different countries within South America. And then you go and take them almost to Atlanta. You could almost say for many of them that they know not now. Right. Because they've been gone for so long. Then you see them coming off of the plane and they put their belongings just on the tarmac, unlabeled and anything, as if they haven't suffered enough indignities by being whipped by for an inch of their lives, trying to survive, and, and then living in the, under a bridge in the heat, 
in Del Rio, Texas, okay? Then, then getting off of the plane, having to rummage through to figure out what is theirs because their, their belongings are not labeled. That is a mess. That is wicked. And that is deplorable. And I just, I, I've yes. had, I'm sick of it. I'm sick yeah. of it. I'm sick mm-hmm. of the ways that we are being used for our vote and then never, ever, ever get any reciprocity. You better say that. We don't get any I reciprocity. Guess. Do we got canceled student loan debt? No. Do we have universal basic income? No. Are, do we have our voters' rights um, uh, um, free and clear? Are they uh, or are they restricted? They're restricted still. Yes. <laughs> so what it. are we what are we doing? What did we what? work so hard for? Is what I want to know. And then that you will have nerve enough to show up in two years and ask me again for my two for my vote next year. Yeah, talking exactly. about. Yeah, no, um, I'll include a link in the show notes. I actually wasn't aware in the ways in which consistently across um, presidential administrations, Haitians and specifically have been singled out. Yes, America at, owes Haiti. Owes yes, Haiti and to Haitian. be excluded from any sort of like asylum and refugee status that have been given to Cubans, now, you know, Central Americans. And I'm all for immigration reform i'm all for people who are vulnerable being able to come to the united states but there's a deep deep anti-black racism in our immigration policy and i and to your point biden he deported haitians under a trump administration policy yeah i'm with you You, absolutely a mess a mess unless it changes i'm not retracting that yeah that's right right this ridiculous it is ridiculous ridiculous i mean mean, it's so upsetting honestly i could weep here it's not it's just you don't treat people like that yeah you do not treat people like that you do not treat human beings like that exactly but you know what you treat chattel like that Mm -hmm. and when the country does not see you as a human being made in the image of god this is how they treat you they treat you like chattel and it's terrible it's terrible it's terrible I, i long i cannot wait for the day that the lord restores the people of Haiti. I cannot wait Amen. for the day. And also us too. May it be. May it be so. Um, so I like to start with my mess. Okay, so my mess is going to seem trivial compared oh, to Oh, sorry. I didn't went off. I'm, no, I'm, no, no, I, I, no, 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 no. That is a good, that is a good, I, no, no, no. That is, no, that is, that is really good. And in some ways you saying that freed me up for my, my trivial one. Okay, it's actually not trivial. It, 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 it so, um, I read that the dollar store, Dollar Tree, is going to start charging $1.25 and $1.50 on some uh-huh. items. Oh, so it's no. not Dollar Tree anymore. And that seems trivial, but when you realize it's related to global supply issues and COVID and all of these things, um, they're basically passing on the price to consumers. And immediately when I thought about that, it just, for me, it's like, you know, annoying. I'm annoyed. Right, because yes. it's called Dollar Tree for a reason. I love Dollar Tree. Yeah. Um, but for people who are in economically vulnerable, financially vulnerable situations that are not being paid a living wage, that $0.25, cents, that $0.50 cents is a big deal. So okay. whatever needs to be done needs That's to be true. done. And Dollar Tree... You cannot call yourself Dollar Tree if you're charging people a dollar. Come on, Dollar Tree. I mean, that's true. <laughs> I'm like, are they? That's basically Dollar General now. But yes, yeah. Listen, Dollar General. I'm like, this kind of price. <laughs> dollar General. Why they is should, it so expensive? They should rename this call it Cheap Tree, Budget exactly. Tree. I mean, I'm just. <laughs> exactly. Yes, it's false. Dollar it's General. Not a dollar is, anymore. Yeah, it's false <laughs> advertising. 
Okay, so for my bless, I did a Twitter thread about this this week, but um, I just started really thinking about the ways in which um, my family has been blessed by my parents' church family where they've been faithful members for like 40 years as my dad is going through treatment. Mm. Um, The ways in which we've had people like show up at our door with like meals. And I mean, we ate for three months on Grubhub. Like because, you know, my dad can't go back to church in person because it creates such a, people get too close. Yes. (laughs) But I just, the faithfulness, I think sometimes, I will say if we're talking about valid criticisms of millennial generations, I think our tendency to like move on so quickly and like say, okay, I don't like this. And sometimes it's not, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that, you know, you need to stay in an abusive church environment, Mm -hmm. but you know, we'll be like, oh, I don't really like the worship or, you know, whatever. And like move on to the next thing. I really am seeing the value of really sowing faithfully where you're planted. Yeah. Um, And I just have been so blessed. I'm, I'm their daughter. I don't go to church there. I'm not a member there. But, like, just in the ways in which people have cared, have texted me, have sent flowers, like, um, so that's my bless. Mm. And I also want to bless the jurors that convicted R. Kelly. And I'm sad that it took so long, but I praise yes. God for justice when it does come. And yes. all of the many all women. Victim, yes. You know, he would not remember? let it go. That yes. we're pushing. Yes. 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 It's good. Okay. I'm going to do my... Let's see. I guess I'll do my I guess I'll do my bless first because I still really need to think of the mess because there's a lot going on in the world right now. So okay, but my bless is very trivial, but I have been watching Big Brother the the newest season season my 23. sister loves that show and oh, I love she, it. I was like, oh, the cookout. My sister, anyway, sorry, go ahead, sister. I was like, oh wait, hold up, I need to watch this season. Tonight is the final episode. I'm so excited. I had taken a break on Big Brother. I'm not going to lie. Okay. But I went back to it this season only because I heard about what the black people were doing in the game. And I had to watch it from the beginning. And I have been floored at seeing them pull this off. And then the white folks really not catch on to what they were doing. And shout out to... Um, Tiffany, because she was a big part of the the strategy and Big D getting everybody together. But (laughs) I just love the fact that they work together, even though some of them just did not like each other. Like getting stand, they cannot stand each other. Like they really can't. And I think that speaks to the strength of that alliance. That's beautiful though, right? (laughs) there's a message there okay yes, yes. there's, there's a, a message, message there. no there's a huge message there and it's so fascinating because it's like yeah they really don't get along but they made and honestly for some of them particularly tiffany it would have made more sense for her not to stick to that commitment she made to the black other black contestants and so yeah it's great there's a, a parable a lesson there is there's i'm lesson like there. see what we could do if we can just if right. we could just Stick together. One singular focus. If we, we can have one on focus, okay? But there's just such this, we have to agree on it all. We don't, and we're not going to. So if we could just focus the amount of change that we could produce, my God. <laughs> so 
that is my bless. I like that. I like that bless. Yes. Yes. Because like, there's the a word out. in that bless. <laughs> it is. It's inspiration for me. And I feel like, can the community just take a hold of this? Can we just use this as an example? Like, y'all, please, when it's time for us to get something done, I might not even like you. You might not like me, but we have a mission at hand and we will not divert from the mission because it is so yes, important. Yes. You don't have to like me to love me. I know that's a hard thing for people it's to understand. The truth. But let's let, let the love guide the work, okay? There let's focus go. on the one thing, whatever the one thing is. You know, and they were like, we're gonna be the cookout and we're gonna stick together, like, you know, whatever. And we can disagree without being disagreeable, right? I think that's yes. something we can learn from. Yes. Yes. From, you know, listen, I only saw an episode or two, okay. But, <laughs> but the, I mean that's I mean that is <laughs> But that is exactly right. But that's exactly right. We don't have to like each other to love each other, to to keep the main thing the main thing. And like, you know, because what are we pushing? What are we pushing towards? This group and like, think. This group yeah. think is too much. It's legalism. It's legalism Ooh, dressed up. That. It's you just like, uh, It is dressed up. I have been... Okay, let's just say that that's going to be my mess. Group think, okay? Okay. Um, let's, just, let's just make that the mess so we can broaden the conversation. But I've been pondering on that. It's like... You can go from one set of groupthink and then feel like you're completely right and go to the other side of the pendulum. And it's the same, it's the same groupthink. And I'm like, wait a minute. I mean, I hear you. And I, I, I agree on some things here and I, and I agree on some things over there. But the groupthink isn't going to get us anywhere. We're going to, it's the same, it's these different yes, coins. yes. yes. Same thing, same, 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 same. So that's just really a mess right now because I feel like we're so caught in these isolated silos. Yes. And how are we going to make progress forward if we're continuously in these same little group think, little groups? We're go- it's, it's a cyclical cycle. We're not going anywhere. Yeah, and I, I, social media is, certainly is not helping us. Oh, certainly not <laughs> it helping us. It fortifies our echo chambers. It really does. It really unless, does. The algorithm. Really yeah, your your feed is curated to what they already to where you already think. So you're not even being exposed to people who think differently or have different things to say. And I think you're right, Faith, that people mm-hmm. think, oh, like this goes both ways. You, you know, whether you lean more conservatively or you know liberal or progressive, like this idea that like you know, there's only one way to do things. Or if you disagree about this, we can't do anything together. I can't be associated with you. It's just... It's too much. It's too, too much. much. It's too much. It's, it's exhausting. So yeah, I, I, I agree with y'all's blessings and messes. Okay. okay. Good. It's a, it's a blessed mess out here. Okay. <laughs> it, is a, it is a blessed mess. I love that. We are going to use that. We will give you credit, but we are going to use that. Um, okay, guys. We are going to say thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much to Ekumeni for coming and being a part of Melanie Faith today. As we already said, guys, pre-order Truth Table's book. Pre-orders are very important for authors. You might not know that, but it means a lot to the publisher how much push and promotion they're going to give the book. So get this book. You're going to want it. Go to bookshop.org to find your local bookstore, independent seller. Um, Rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to join our Patreon. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.